good morning, and I'll add my welcome to that from Lee, and uh, thank you for worshipping God with us this morning. If there's anybody who doesn't know me, my name's Matthew, and I'm a member of this church. Let's open in a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, we, Lord, we, we thank you for the expression of worship you have allowed us to sing before you, Lord, and and we just marvel how great you are and how sometimes our, our voices struggle to ascend to you, but not this morning. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who's lifted the praise because you are worthy. And now we continue our worship, Lord, and we pray for your help. We pray, Lord, as we worship you in, in reading your word and listening to your word, and, and we pray for your help in this matter. Change us, Lord, as we get exposed to your mind through your word. This we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, if you are still in your place at Proverbs chapter 1, which is page 635, it may, be, um, it may be profitable for you to follow, because today I am going to be preaching from eight chapters of Proverbs, so I hope you haven't got a roast in the oven there. <laughs> you get nervous when preachers make jokes about time, right? <laughs> it is... A comparatively easy task to preach on Mother's Day. You go to the Bible and you have a, a multitude of sound biblical mothers to choose from. You could choose Naomi, Mary, Elizabeth, the godly woman from Proverbs 31, the elect lady from 2 John. There is a there is a multitude of these ladies which we can look up to and you can admire and you can shape your lives on them. But fathers, apart from our heavenly father, who of course authored the whole of his word, the majority of the fathers in the Bible have some instance of moral failure in their lives. Think about it. Adam, he stood next to his precious Eve while she... While she was deceived by the serpent and ate the fruit. Noah, drunkenness caused his son to sin and get cursed. Abraham, <laughs> well, apart from lying his way out of trouble and sleeping with his servant because he didn't trust God's promise, there's a lot more in his life. Isaac, favored one son over another. Israel, copied him. Eli, I mean, I'm not far through the, through the Old Testament, am I? And we can keep going through here. Then we have David. As a father, he failed to act when his son raped his daughter. And I could go on, but my point is that whereas there are many godly mothers in the Bible, women we can model our behavior on, the fathers in the Bible seem to be slightly less reliable. Now, of course, the entire Bible is written by and is about God, the triune God, who is at the same time God the Father, perfect, God the Son, perfect, and God the Holy Spirit. And as a perfect father, the obedient son tells us, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So here's your excuse to leave the sermon early. All those who are perfect may leave now. Perfect fathers, you can go. And I'm still here. We understand from our own lives, even before we became fathers, but especially after we became a father, that perfection 
is not practically achievable in this life. That's why we need Christ. We need Jesus, who is both God and the obedient Son, the only man who has lived a perfect life, who was crucified for sins that we committed, including the sins of being a bad father. He died for those sins, for the sins of people like me and you. And when we believe on him and we place our trust in him, we are credited with his perfection. But that's a positional perfection in front of God. Look in the mirror. Look at our children. Our children will be the first ones to say that we are still far short of being perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. Getting back to Father's Day, the fact that the, the human fathers in the Bible are flawed does not make them unusable. They are profitable for us because they're in Scripture. They were very much like us. In fact, if I look at a model of perfection, I find it so hard to copy that because I am so far from perfection. But if I look at a flawed father who has some good attributes, surely I can copy his good and at the same time avoid his bad. Most of these men I just described had problems and their problems were described in graphic detail. Any father here would like to have your sins written in a book which is to be read for thousands of years. Their sins were described in graphic detail, but also so were their triumphs. Abraham had such faith that when the child of promise came, he was willing to sacrifice him because he trusted God. Now that's not a good parenting model not the action, but the faith is. We can copy his faith. Noah, whose drunkenness caused his son to sin, was described as the only righteous man alive on the planet. David, guilty of many things, not least murder and adultery, described as God as being a man after God's own heart. So despite their faults, there is much good that we can copy. Now, with this in mind today, I want to go to one of the authors of the Bible, the human authors of the Bible, who is described as the wisest man who ever lived. That wasn't just up until that time. Who ever lived? Solomon. And he had problems as well, as you know. Uh, I'm going to go to the book of Proverbs, and we're going to skim the surface. You know, like those stones you get, and you skim them, and they bounce a couple of times off the surface? Um, sometimes when you read scripture, it's good to sink like a brick. Amen? You, you go into it and you go into one verse and you go clunk. But today, we're skimming across the book of Proverbs. First eight verses. And you might ask, what has that got to do with Father's Day? Now please look in your Bibles. Look at Proverbs 1. Andy read it for us. Verse 8, listen my son. Verse 10, my son. Verse 15, my son. Look at Proverbs 2, verse 1, my son. Proverbs 3, verse 1, my son. Proverbs 4, verse 1, my son. 5, 6, and 7, my son, my son, my son. Now, what has the book of Proverbs, at least the first eight chapters of Proverbs, got to do with Father's Day? The first eight chapters of Proverbs are written by a caring father to his sons. And we know that was King Solomon. 
And he is the wisest man who ever lived. And therefore, fathers here, there should be something we can learn how to bring up our children when we read the counsel of Solomon. Okay, so today's title is Fathers Teach Them to Fear, and I've taken that from the fear of the Lord, which starts in verse 7 of chapter 1, but it's a, it's a motive that comes through, the rest of the, comes through the rest of the book of Proverbs. And there are specifically four fears which I believe the book of Proverbs is teaching us as fathers to instill in our children. And from eight chapters, we could have chosen 20. But I've chosen four, which I think surveys this chapter as well. First of all, wise fathers teach their children to fear the Lord. Second, wise fathers teach their children to fear their heart. Third, wise fathers teach their children to fear their friends. And the last one is, wise fathers teach their children to fear adultery. Okay, let's start with that first one. Fear the Lord. Proverbs is wisdom literature, as you know. It is very practical and very relevant to living today. In fact, even an unbeliever could read the book of Proverbs, do some of the stuff that says in it, and their life would have some, probably some benefit from it. But the unbeliever will not have the motivation or the ability to constantly apply God's word to their life. We need, as a believer, the indwelling Holy Spirit to give us the power to do this. But if you read in Proverbs 1 verse 7, it reads, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, there's some terminology which we use in, in this book which needs a little bit of explaining. First of all, the picture of a fool. Who is this who despises instruction? Now, today, a fool will be somebody who larks around the whole time or maybe somebody who, who maybe is, hasn't got it all on, upstairs. But that wasn't, wasn't the case in the books of Old Testament poetry. In Old Testament poetry, the fool is he who says in their heart, there is no God. So it's important when we go through Proverbs, we understand who this fool is they're talking about. Today, we would include definitely an atheist in this category, he who believes that there is no God. But it's defined as somebody who says not there is no God in their mouth, but in their heart. So many of us can act foolishly, even when we say that we know there is a God, but we act as if there is not a God. Deep down in our heart, the man could be saying there is no God, and that man would be a fool. A second word from verse 7 that we need to understand because we use it slightly differently today is the word despise. Now today, if you despise something, you hate something. But when the Bible uses that word, it means you think very little or you think nothing of it. So fools think nothing or think very little of wisdom. And then finally, important to today's message, we need to understand the different ways the word fear is used. What does it mean to fear the Lord. Well, the word fear can be used in two ways in the Bible. To fear the Lord is usually meant to have a, a reverential uh, respect 
and awe of the Lord. That would be one way of using fear. The other way of using fear is as we use it today, to be terrifying, to tremble before something. And in today's message, I'm going to be using the word fear both ways. When wise fathers are to teach our children to fear the Lord, we are to teach them a reverential respect. And when we are teaching them to fear their hearts, their friends, and adultery, we are teaching them to run away because these things are dangerous. So I'm using the word fear in both ways, as the book of um, Proverbs does. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. In verse 1, we have the endearment, my son. And then in verse 7, we have, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Okay, here we have another fear the Lord. The beginning of the Lord is the fear of wisdom. Sorry, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, here he says, fear the Lord and shun evil. So back in Proverbs chapter 1, fear is associated with wisdom and contrasted with the fool. Here, fear is associated with fleeing evil and contrasted what's not wise is being wise in our own eyes. Okay, so here's one of the reasons, fathers, that we need to teach our children to fear the Lord. It will keep them from evil. They will shun evil. Now, our children think they're wise, but their wisdom is wise in their own eyes. And they do fear all right, but they fear the wrong things. And it's our job to instruct them to fear the right things. A child fears, a lot of the time, this biggest fear is the fear of missing out on something fun. That is not a good fear to run your life with. You can imagine all sorts of nonsense you're going to get into with that fear. Here we are told, if they are to be kept from evil, they need to fear the Lord. You're still in verse 3. Look down at 25 and 26. Have no fear. This is the trembling, quaky sort of fear. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. Okay. So the man who fears the Lord will not fear circumstances. He will be confident when others are afraid. And this is a general principle of life. The fear of the Lord is the fear that drives out all other fears. A thousand years later, the disciples were in a boat and a big storm came. And Jesus came and calmed the storm. And the disciples were very fearful. And Jesus turned to them and says, Why are you afraid? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Teach your children to fear the Lord, because when they fear the Lord, they will not fear their circumstances and they will not fear the the storm they go through. The second fear, now we're moving away from the fear which they need to be scared of. Teach our children, fathers, wise fathers, teach our children to fear their hearts. The world tells our children to follow their hearts. You get it on TV regularly. Listen to their feelings. Go with what feels right. That's what our children get inundated with every day. Where do you think that will take 
our children. Seriously, what would happen if you left your eight-year-old Xbox addict to do nothing but to follow his heart? Or your 16-year-old hormone-fueled child to follow their heart? Where would this end? We need to teach our children to fear the faulty counsel they get from their heart and their feelings. This is not a popular message. But it is in the Bible. Proverbs 4, chapter 1, again starts with those words. Listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Verse 20, Proverbs 4. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Now, what is the wise father teaching his child? Verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Do not teach your children to follow their heart, wise fathers. Do not teach them to listen to their feelings or be ruled by their heart. Teach them to guard their hearts with all diligence. And that Hebrew word guard can mean to besiege your heart. Our hearts are not to lead us. We are to keep our hearts captive if we are to follow the counsel of Solomon. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Another translation says, and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Would you like something desperately wicked and deceitful above all things leading you? Would you like that same thing, desperately wicked thing, leading your children? Teach your children to fear their hearts. Teach them to guide their hearts, to besiege their hearts, contain them. Don't listen to their hearts. Don't talk to it. Sorry, don't listen to your heart. Talk to it. Tell it what it needs to do. Don't Follow your heart. Lead your heart. It may just be your enemy within. Now, how do we understand our heart? How do you know to trust what is deceitful? How do we know when it's not deceiving us? Well, generally speaking, it is deceitful above all things. But there is a way of discerning the thoughts and intents of your heart. And it tells us that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And this is what it says. For the word of God is active, alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And then it finishes. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You want, to, you want your children to truly understand their hearts, to guard them from their hearts. You must teach them to read the word of God. You want to guard your heart. You need to discern the hearts and the thoughts and intents. And to do that, you need to be in the word of God. That is your ally. That is your, in this battle with this, against this wicked enemy that stays in you, you have all the power of the word of God to pull, to bring to bear. But you have to teach your children how to bring that to bear. Expose your heart to scripture. And you will contain it. 
you will guard it. You will besiege it. Keep your Bibles closed and your hearts will soar. And part of you thinks that sounds attractive. Soar. Like wings of eagles, we can make it all spiritual. But like Icarus, left unrestrained, your heart will soar so high, its wings will melt in the heat of the sun. And as your children are plummeting to the ground because their heart has soared so high, what will they say to you? Will they say, Father, now I understand what you're trying to teach me because you were wise and you told them to guard their hearts? Or will they look round to you as they're plummeting down at terminal velocity and they say, Dad, why did you not warn me about my heart? Fathers, teach your children to hold captive their heart. My next point is, teach your children, this really isn't popular, to fear their friends. Much of these first eight chapters, Solomon is warning his children against those who will lead them astray. If you go back to chapter 1, straight off the bat, one of the things Solomon says is, My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. Oh, how much pain could we be spared if us fathers, first of all, taught our children this, and second of all, they listened but our responsibility is the teaching of them to fear, what does the Bible say? Sinful men who want to entice them. The principle is constant throughout Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 15.33 it says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Here you are, wise fathers, trying to build good character into your children. Trying really, really hard and whoosh, off they go with their friends. Bad company corrupts everything you've been trying to do. Later in the book of Proverbs, we read in Proverbs 13, 20, don't turn there, walk with the wise and become wise, for the companion of fools will suffer harm. And there's a progression which we haven't got time to go through. In Proverbs chapter 1, it says, it warns our children against being enticed. And verse 11 says, if they say, and then verse 15, do not go with them. And then it says, do not set your foot in the paths. Isn't that how it works? We warn our children against this friend and they first start listening. And then they start going with them. But they're not even supposed to be hanging around where these people are. Chapter 4, Proverbs, verse 10. Again, we have, listen, my son. Hear what? Verse 14, do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go your own way. And go your way. Fathers, wise fathers, warn their children against bad company. If your children lay with dogs, they're going to get fleas. I can't miss this next subject because Solomon gives so much of it in the first eight chapters of the book of Proverbs. He has dedicated two entire chapters to the, the subject of adultery. Fathers, 
especially fathers of sons, but these days more and more any father, father of sons or daughters, teach your children to fear adultery. Chapter 5 starts with, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. And the rest of the chapter deals with, verse 3, the adulterous woman. Verse 20 describes her as another man's wife, a wayward woman. Same in chapter 7, verse 1, my son, keep my words. And the rest of the chapter tells the chilling tale of the woman dressed like a prostitute who tempts the youth who had no sense to commit adultery while her husband is out of town. And if you read in your own time, chapters 5 and chapter 7, there is chilling detail. Solomon describes the seduction as vividly as an American soap opera would show it to you. Solomon takes longer warning his children about this than anything else in the first eight chapters. He lists the temptation in a way that we can spot the warning signs, and then he gives us an antidote. Proverbs 5, verse 18. I'm going to miss a bit out, but you can, if you follow, you see the bit I, miss, a bit I missed, and you will understand why I did so. Proverbs 5, verse 18. This is the antidote to adultery, which we need to teach our children, and it's a faithful marriage. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? If the wisest father, no, wisest man, let's say that, who ever lived, spends 25% of his instruction to sons talking about avoid the wayward woman, avoid the adulteress, stay faithful to your wife, Shouldn't we be teaching our children the same? Solomon should have listened to his own advice, shouldn't he? In 1 Kings, it says, quote, He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And what happened? And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of, his David, as the heart of David his father. And that's interesting. David was his father. Maybe David was telling Solomon to be faithful. Where's David's credibility? How can you tell your children to be faithful if you're David? David had at least eight wives and ten concubines and that we know of. How credible do you think his teaching was when he had little Solomon on the knee bounce them up a couple of times and say, stay away from multiple wives, let alone Deuteronomy that said it. Fathers. Wise fathers. This is why, if we are to teach our children these things, we must first live these lessons in their plain sight. Solomon was David's son. His heart was turned away. He did not fear his heart. He had many concubines. He did not fear adultery. His heart went over after other gods. He did not fear the Lord. Wise fathers, let us copy Solomon's wisdom, but not his lifestyle. Unlike Solomon, let us practice 
what we preach. Our children will suffer if we tell them one thing and then we undermine our own credibility by doing something else. Now, I've spent almost three decades out of England and I returned last year to a foreign country. Stark contrast to the one I left. New, yes. Improved, not so much. And I will suggest to you that one of the reasons for this is that fathers are either not around or not involved in their children's lives these days. We live in a land that is bearing the consequence of this. Proverbs 1, we have children that are being enticed to violence and robbery. Adultery is rife, Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 7. Their hearts are not guarded, but are leading them in pursuit of pleasure at all costs. And this is because they do not fear God. Wise fathers, teach your children these things. We cannot change history, but perhaps by God's grace and by his mercy, if we follow his advice through Solomon, we can perhaps change the future of our families. Teach your children these things, wise father. Teach them to fear the Lord. Teach them to fear their heart. Teach them to fear their friends. And teach them to flee adultery. And teach them that you mean it by practicing what you preach. Let's pray. Oh Lord, there are no perfect fathers in this world. And as one, I think my, the mistakes I've made would make for a much longer sermon than I have time to. But Lord, you give us grace. You have not given us an impossible task because you have given us an incredible Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Lord, the Christian fathers here, I give thanks for. I give thanks, Lord, that we are trying to do the right thing. Forgive us, Lord, when our flesh trips us up. Forgive us, Lord, when we're tired and at the end of a tough, tired day, we want to sit in the armchair and not engage with our children. But, Lord, let us see what is at stake. Let us see the world around us. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, let us be different. Let us teach our children. Let us be considered wise as we follow Solomon's advice. And Lord, of this is Father's Day, we, we give you the thanks for godly mothers and even single mothers, Lord, who have to step into that role because we have failed. Lord, bless them. Bless those single mothers who have not got a father of their children with them. Give them the strength to keep going on. Give them the wisdom which will come from Solomon, come from your word. Give them the ability to act on that wisdom. But Lord, please protect our children. Lord, we have failed time and time again. Please, Lord, give us grace. Give us mercy. And please save our children. This we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.